because my position had more to do with personal development so that professional development could take place. Uh, I had no choice but to understand who that individual was as a person. Yeah. Right? So I had, to, I had a lot of practice at looking past the differences, but also I identified my own biases. Like any good counselor worth his weight in gold, worth her weight in gold, uh, is constantly looking at the information they're gathering as they do their diagnosis with the uh, background of their own biases. We all have that. Welcome to the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. I am your host, Bobby Audley. If you listen to last week's episode, I did a 20-minute uh, monologue, me just talking about what I called my white privilege, and it is my reaction and reflections to the murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter protests that are happening right now, and quite frankly, all the shifts that are happening in our world right now. My, my next step after my own reflections was to set up a number of conversations with individuals that I respect and I trust to have that conversation of my white privilege and also learn from them about their life experiences. These are all black men that I have a relationship with, that I trust, that I am seeking to continue to learn from. The first interview conversation that I set up was with Harry Swain, who was the first guest on this entire podcast when we dropped and launched the whole thing. Harry, if you haven't listened to his interview, number one, go listen to it. It's an awesome interview. And number two, just a reminder of who he is. Harry is a four-time Super Bowl champion, and when I met with him, he was the player engagement director for the Baltimore Ravens. The really cool thing about that is when I talked to Harry this week and asked him to, the question I said is, Ken, that you'll hear on this interview is, you know, if you were still in that role as player engagement director, how would you be having conversations with your players right now? What would you be talking about? How would you be serving and helping your players? And he was able to, to really pull from direct experience because he was the player engagement director when Freddie Gray in Baltimore was killed and, and, and the protests in Baltimore were happening and the call for police reform was happening. And he had players who were really emotionally impacted by that. And he was tasked with serving and helping those individuals. And there's a reason I am I am kind of going off of my original plan and scheduled scheduled plan for this podcast, and instead having this interview with Harry, and the next few weeks having uh, conversations, showing you, sharing with you conversations that I am having right now with people that I look up to and learn from. And the reason is this: the entire point and theme of this podcast is 50 cups of coffee. The idea, the challenge that you should be having, or I encourage you to have conversations with quite frankly, as many people as you can in a year. The number 50 is a number I came up with while doing a TEDx talk because it's, it's a pithy number and it, it lends itself to over the course of a year, how many people are you challenging yourself to meet? And quite frankly, I, I uh, track the conversations I have 
even before the podcast in Evernote. And I was consistently getting to around 50, if not more or a little less. So it was, it, I believe it is a number to try to hit. And the goal is simply to have conversations. And I love coffee. A lot of people love coffee. It's, it's a great way to connect and have those conversations. And the reason I'm using this platform right now to share my conversations that I am having in the moment right now on race is because I, at the, at the risk of sounding naive, believe that is a part of the solution right now. And I was affirmed in this belief in this interview that you're about to listen to when I asked Harry, what do I do? How do I help? What do we each need to do? And Harry's answer was, we each need to have more cups of coffee. We each need to, d- to dive into our relationships more. Uh, and as I started to think about, you know, why I, well, last week, as I shared in my white privilege episode, I was ready to just drop my typical episode for the week. And what 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 caused me to pause, what caused me to think differently was my relationships. Originally, my relationship with my wife, because she's the one that challenged me. And then my relationships with people like Harry and Julian Gordon, who you'll hear from, and Sean Tucker, who you'll hear from, uh, Fred Hobbs, who you'll hear from. My relationships with these individuals are what caused me to have empathy, what caused me to think differently. I say to Harry on this episode, you know, there are certain things that as a white male growing up in the middle class in upstate New York and now living in, in Columbia, Maryland, there are certain things that I don't fully understand and I cannot fully empathize with. And so I'm left to simply trust my relationships. Harry's now raising his family in a beautiful neighborhood in Maryland. And he says to me, I, uh, when I um, teach my kid how to drive, his kid's 16, when I teach my son how to drive, I also teach him how to get pulled over. I hear that and I still don't really understand it and get it. And it's not necessarily up to me to fully understand it and get it. It is up to me to trust Harry, that that is not just something he does as a black man. That is something he must do as a black man. And so I was, my wife and I were talking last night about what does it take, you know, for people to come to a place of empathy for black lives in this country when they're not black and they, they, they don't have the experience with it. And, you know, um, I've always gone to numbers. I've always gone to statistics. I've always gone to look at the discrepancies. And again, Harry was someone who told me, you know what? People aren't moved by numbers, they're moved by hearts. They're moved by emotion, they're moved by relationships. And so I do believe relationships is the answer. Cups of coffee is the answer. If you wanna understand Black Lives Matter more, go to a march and talk to the individuals there supporting it. If you wanna understand what it's like to grow up in this country as a black person, go talk to them. There's a lot of viral posts right now of uncomfortable conversations with black people. And I encourage you to go have those conversations. I have at times. I haven't asked all the questions, but I have at times. If you wanna understand what it means to be Jewish, go talk to somebody who's Jewish. If you wanna understand what it means to, to grow up in the middle of Louisiana, go talk to someone there. I share that because I have, I, I have learned so much in my life, not from the books I've read, not from the podcasts I've listened to, not from the, uh, 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 you know, educa- the courses I've taken in school. 
I have learned so much, especially in the last 10 years from traveling this country and sitting down and talking with people and having a cup of coffee. Um, and right now, uh, I, I challenge you to do that. Heck, for coronavirus. Maybe you're in the camp where you think now that we're opening up, things were a little overblown and, and, and we, we, we overreacted. And I encourage you to sit down and talk with someone in the medical world. Talk with someone who is immunocompromised. Talk with someone who, if you think this is the real deal, then go talk with someone who doesn't think it's that and just listen to them and hear them out. Um, this idea for this intro was sparked for me, yes, from talking to Harry, but then this morning, this is Thursday when I'm recording this, uh, the op-ed in the Baltimore Sun this morning is from the Baltimore County Police Chief, and it's a, a long op-ed, and it starts with, if we were to sit down and have a cup of coffee. And that struck me for obvious reasons, and, and then he went on to share just who he is and his challenges and his, what he does on a daily basis and what his job is like and how dangerous it is and how he puts himself on the line and, and how he's biracial and he supports the Black Lives Matter movement and how he is open to change and doing things in a new and a better way. And it was just such a full-bodied article, letter, testimonial, just letter really, just sharing uh, his thoughts, his feelings, and and helping people get to know him. And you can't put it in any category. You can't put it in the category of supporting the police. You can't put it in the category of supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. You can't put it in the category of being apathetic. It is simply this individual's letter to say, this is who I am, and this is what I believe, and I can't be put in a box, and I'd like you to get to know me. And I think that's true of most of us. Um, so this... This episode is me sitting down once again with Harry Swain to talk about my questions about race and his answers about how he would uh, help his players through this situation. If you're a coach, this is an incredible episode to just hear how Harry um, handled this back, back when Freddie Gray was killed and how he would handle it today if he were still coaching a team. You'll hear me talk about how when Harry and I first talked, I kept using the word riot and he challenged me on that and said do not use the word riot. We use the word riot when, when it is black people rebelling, when it is black people who are upset, when it is black people that are destroying property. In the history of this world, when non-black people or specifically white people um, are so angry that they, that they quote unquote riot, it's called a rebellion. This was Harry's opinion and take on things, and it did challenge me and force me to look up some resources to realize where the word riot comes from. I offer you no answers here in this podcast because I haven't become the expert yet, and I encourage you to do it as well. Look up the words you use and pay attention to why you use them. Um, we talk about the concept of knowing your players and why that's so important. When Harry is engaging with his players, he knows them so well that he knows... Um, what buttons to push if he wants to push buttons. He knows that if they're saying, nah, I'm okay, he knows they're really not okay. He knows that if he's challenging them on their beliefs, he can pull from their past experiences because he knows them so well, like a true mentor. And we've talked in past podcasts, the power of knowing your players. Anytime I get up on stage, you give a keynote. The workshops I've been doing lately via Zoom, I've talked about know your people. And this is a really just powerful example as to why it's so important. Important. And in that being important, 
The overarching message is the power of relationships, which is why I'm airing this episode and I'll be airing further as we go. I don't have a full-throated plan. I know I have a lot of recorded interviews. If you're a listener that I interviewed uh, months back and I still haven't dropped your episode, please accept my apologies. Coronavirus and now the, um, the, the murder of George Floyd and, and, and the Black Lives Matter movement has has caused me to pause, to reset, and to ensure that these conversations that I'm airing are timely and effective. When the message is to have more cups of coffee with people, I want to ensure we stay focused on that. And that is what this podcast is all about. For this week, please enjoy my cup of coffee with Harry Swain. I appreciate you again for for chatting last week. It was uh, it was tremendously helpful for me, and uh, I was saying to a couple of people like oh, I didn't even I go. That's the beauty of Harry is uh, I wasn't even he he knew before I did that I needed someone to talk to. So <laughs> I appreciate that. Yes, sure, My pleasure, man. That's what friends do for friends. I appreciate it, man. I really do. Yes. It was it was helpful, and uh, it's as I continue to you know you know I love what you said about you know the cup of coffee being part of the solution, right? It's not the whole one, but just sit down and connecting. Cause that, and that for me was powerful because I was reflecting on my, even, even the moments where I recognize I have something to learn. Um, and I don't, might not know the answer, recognize that something to learn in any Avenue. Uh, it comes from connections. It comes from knowing people. It comes from having friends who are, who are in different environments. And so, you know, looking at this podcast, that's kind of all I thought. I reached out to a number of folks that, that uh, are just uh, uh, people that it's like, you know what, I've learned a lot from you. And so it'd be fun to sit down and, and like with you, obviously, but there's a couple of people who have already done episodes with, but it's like, that was mainly about your career. And this is more just about life. And, uh, and, and also, uh, you know, obviously we're recording, it'll be a podcast, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, but also even commentary on what's going on right now, because I think, um, okay there's a lot of noise out there, but there's not a lot of people just having good conversations. So. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. You do have to distinguish the two. So I guess I, I was, I was thinking about, you know, what, and if you, if you know what you want to say, just say it. But I, I also like to, to ask the right questions. And, and when I was thinking about you and, and what you could share with our listeners, my thought was kind of wondering, you know, you are in a place of being a mentor. You're a mentor to me. You're a mentor, I'm sure, to a lot of players who you still keep in touch with. And when you were with the Ravens and even the Bears, you were in a place of mentoring those young men. So my thought was, what would you, what do you think, maybe what are you saying to people you mentor now? Or also, what would you be saying to those young men if you were, if you were in those, you know, offices right now, having yeah. these conversations with them? Yeah, uh, that's exactly it. Let's, uh, let's talk about it as opposed to uh, not talk about it. Cause it's easy sometimes to not talk about it and, uh, and we remain in our feelings as young people say, right? And um, I think uh, the culture now uh, makes it difficult for black people in general to uh, answer the question fully. How do you feel? Uh, knowing that the emotion that people may see from answering that question uh, could be misconstrued. Mm -hmm. And so the best thing that I could do uh, 
didn't matter what the issue was. Uh, I'm remembering Freddie Gray when it happened here in Baltimore. That brought a little more emotion from some of uh, our, our young African-American men, but we had to process it out. And uh, mm -hmm. oftentimes openly, right? Right in the cafeteria, in the line, right? Like, don't ask me that, Mr. Harry. I'm, I'm pissed off right now. Tell me about that right here. What would, you, what would you ask them? How you would walk up to them in line in the cafeteria and just ask them how they're doing, how they're feeling? Yeah, and uh, a few of them I knew their part of their life story was in and around that issue. If they had a relative mm -hmm. or a brother or a family member that uh, was, had any interaction that was negative with the police. I knew, I knew that it would probably uh, hit them much harder than somebody that had mm -hmm. uh, no, no idea what that was about. Mm -hmm. so those are the first guys that needed to uh, talk about how they were feeling where they were. Otherwise, you can't move the needle along. Uh, you can't, right. It's just seize an opportunity to uh, really let somebody know, hey, I'm interested in you. I want to learn about uh, your, everybody has a story. I want to learn about that. And uh, let's move this needle along. Let's learn together. Let's grow together. And, so they uh, say to you, they say to you, I don't, I don't want to talk about it, Harry. I'm pissed off. How do you, what, what happens next? How do you develop the conversation? Yeah, well, uh, usually I go, hey, I'd love to uh, talk to you about it. And I'll bring up something uh, that I know about them. It's much easier for already been in a relationship and we've talked about other things, right? So there's some uh, ground level, there's some foundation work already. They know, uh, like, uh, they know I can be trusted, right? So I can, uh, I take my liberty in asking this question, but only out of the uh, relational investment that we have, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, and I'm, I'm cashing in on it. <laughs> I'm withdrawing mm -hmm. from that account, uh, right? It may seem and look like I'm pressing them to uh, talk about it now. Uh, I'm not, hey, I know the schedule. I know what you have to do. I know you got a meeting coming up here in like 12 minutes, so we can't get into it right now anyway, but uh, can we talk later? Yes, okay, Mr. Harry. <laughs> right. I know that I'm getting some of what is directed towards somebody and something else. Right. I, I already assume that uh, their grief isn't directed toward me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just know that because that's just the cultural characteristic that African-Americans uh, have. They're emotional, they're full of passion. Uh, they lead with their feelings, but that doesn't mean that uh, they don't know some stuff. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. so that's how, how we're going. Then I follow up. Uh, a lot of times people really won't know how much you're earnest about what it is you want to know until they see some commitment. So mm. follow-up is everything, right? And typically on the second round, the, the follow-up, uh, the emotion has gone away, it subsided a little bit, right? Because they've had a chance to think about how they feel uh, after they walk away from the first initiation, right? That's how it goes, right? Mm. You start to think about it because they had to think about how they feel because of the question that I, that I asked. So I do not assume that somebody has already processed through their emotions, especially a young 20-something-year-old male. 
<laughs> right? right? And I saw him the opportunity to do that silently with himself. It's called introspection. Something that a lot of our country is having to do now. How do I really mm -hmm. feel about black people, specifically black males? Right? Am I uh, threatened by them? Uh, and why am I? And I'm so embarrassed about where I am right now. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are just discovering that because of what's going on in our country. That's a good conversation to have but it, with yourself, but it could be an embarrassing, shameful, guilt-written conversation to have, too. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think that's why, um, you know, lately the conversations I've been having when I encourage I, I talk about my own introspection. I talk about, uh, I've talked about my conversation with you and even just, you know, my vulnerability. And I, I love when I kept using the word riot and you challenged me and said, why do you use that word? And, and I really, that, that struck me and I appreciated your, 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 it's not even a reframe. I feel like that's the wrong way to say it. It's just literally saying <laughs> it's the wrong word. It's the wrong mm -hmm. word. And, and, and uh, um, even that was a moment where the gut reaction is to get defensive and mm -hmm. explain, well, here's why I said it. And it's like, nobody, not nobody cares, but in any, like I've, I've learned from simple conflict, you know, right. You know, dispute resolution in the world of team building and training, but it's like, don't get defensive, allow right. yourself to have a moment of, of vulnerability and learning like that is to hear to learn to grow that is mm -hmm. confidence and i think that's where you're right it's fine to be it's almost it's almost fine to be embarrassed by by how you used to view things and how you used to yeah. see things yeah. and and see them in a different way yeah yeah i mean it's uh there's a lot of new learning going on out there right and people should be applauded for it not denigrated mm -hmm. uh, right i mean how brave is Drew Brees? Uh, mm -hmm. He learned literally publicly, uh, got, <laughs> and he did it under some attack and disappointment yeah. from some people that he worked with. And but he came back and said, "Hey, uh, I learned a thing or two after hearing, and here's what I have to say now." I mean, <laughs> he showed more bravery than uh, he did something to a lot of America by doing that. Right. Sure, there were some parts of white America that went, you know, you shouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done that. Uh, but there are other people that had to really think about uh, why would he do that? Right? What happened? Mm -hmm. What changed? Uh, you know what I mean? And uh, he, forced, yeah. he forced a lot of white America to uh, rethink their issue around just let, let me, let's just stick with the anthem and the flag. Mm -hmm. Did you, when you were with the Ravens, did you have to handle that situation at all in terms of, not, it could be specifically folks wanting to kneel and other folks maybe not being happy with it, but also just, you know, you were talking about Freddie Gray, you know, the, the difference between the black players and the non-black players and how they process and take a situation. Did you have to, you know, have those conversations? Absolutely. Head on. Yeah. Right. So I needed uh, the black players to see me in the locker room talking to the white guys, mm -hmm. right? And uh, asking, uh, it's the great thing about the locker room, it's like, it's like any other office. Uh, and it's kind of like, uh, like Cube City would be. So you can have one conversation in the middle of 
cubicle city, and you know five people around are going to hear. Mm -hmm. right? That's what's great yeah. about the locker room. Uh, I can I can ask that tough question, and I know that two other three other people that are right next to the guy is going to hear. And uh, but it's them. They have a very us thing going on on the team. So when I'm engaging a white guy, hey, I know you grew up in Mississippi. Uh, what was it like from your perspective for uh, some of your black friends down there? Right? Did you see the difference, right? Or Tennessee, uh, did you see the difference? Uh, what did that kind of do to you, right? When you heard the story of, because uh, I would know stories about people, players on their team, right? To uh, bring it back, to uh, give some perspective. Uh, right. And so when we, when the Freddie Gray thing happened, we did a lot of processing. Right. And uh, from that process, we decided we would do it, our own version of the town hall. Right. So just teaching them that uh, protest then leads to town hall, which then leads to legislation. Mm -hmm. Right. So we invite the uh, people who will make the decisions into the discussion now because they have to hear from us, hence the protest and the demonstrations. Uh, and then they invite us to a meeting. You see a lot of that happening with uh, police districts. And then from that uh, town hall meeting, legislation gets passed. Mm -hmm. That's how it goes. So we had our own version of town hall, right? How so did you set that up? What did that look like? Uh, we had a panel, uh, two black guys, two white guys, nothing, nothing hard there. Uh, each of them had a, a story about uh, how they saw racial injustice happen right in front of them. All right. So we had like uh, two perspectives, kept it fair, kept it balanced. And uh, we had uh, the panelists had agreed on some questions that they would ask the uh, audience uh, to help them uh, work through some of the issues that these four stories from people they know, their teammates, uh, how they could extrapolate lessons from that story, right? How they could uh, inform themselves, uh, right? And maybe do some introspection while you're sitting there going, wow, I, I hadn't really valued that part of the Black experience. I didn't even have mm -hmm. that language before. And so, of course, 10 minutes into the meeting, no white guys talk. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the panelists already knew that we were going to go at least 12 minutes uh, pause and make a, what did we call it? Uh, uh, at an addendum that unless uh, white guys start to talk and join in on a discussion, we can't have one. Mm -hmm. And so it happens just like that. There are crickets for about 12 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> That's really uncomfortable silence. So they man. didn't speak until you added that addendum? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And only the panelists knew that. Yeah. And uh, so they, they were the ones that had to bravely sit there in front, staring at right. their white teammates like, going to say something? Yeah. <laughs> right? Because yeah. it's easy to talk, like, you know, in the parking lot or, you know, in, in the cafeteria while you're eating pizza, you know. It's easy to talk then, but it's another thing to, like, put your thoughts in front of a whole audience. Right? Oh, and I get so, it. I mean, even... 
I, I always say that with, with uh, what you and I do, I mean, and you've been doing it more and longer and, 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 uh, but you know, you, you, you have ideas and thoughts and you and I are things back and forth. Then you get up in front of a room and you got to say it officially. And it's like, Ooh, now this is, this, this is, this is written. Even, even with the podcast, I've had a lot of really good conversations with people. And then when you, once you hit record, it's different. And so I can't imagine, uh, I'm thinking as you're saying this, why I like it, and I'm going to let you finish how it plays out is because yeah. I'm looking at teams that I'm doing workshops with right now and coaches that have come to me and said, how do we have these conversations right now? And I think this is a great way to do it. And before you even said that, I'm picturing uh, specifically male teams just staring <laughs> at the coach, right? Uh, the women's team, and I never like to, it's not a stereotype, it's my experience. The female teams I work with right now are just, like just we're talking for a whole hour uh, <laughs> and, and they're getting emotional you name mm-hmm. it the male I worked with a male team last week worked with one female team it was awesome worked with a male team and I set up the conversation and then it was just a bunch of faces staring back at their cameras <laughs> like are we really doing this <laughs> Yeah. we had it okay yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so 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 they you had the addendum they're yep. staring back at their colleagues they're staring back, you know it's yeah. quiet and one brave white guy speaks up he's like a huge team leader and uh not a big time vocal leader but nevertheless a leader in his own right and the things he said uh, convinced everyone that he had some lived experience around the, uh, the African American community, and that opened the flood door. Because after uh, an, another hour of discussion, the white guys talked the most. Yeah, they talked the most. They got informed yeah. the most too, but they had the most to learn. Uh, and I really appreciated the uh, just the love that their uh, black teammates extended them because some of those comments uh, were uninformed. Some of them were just, uh, had a little bit of ignorance in them. Uh, Some stuff uh, they just discovered in the middle of their dialogue and uh, they were able to uh, really just stay partnered together. I mean, they had a huge advantage because they were teammates, they knew each other. They knew their difficulties. They knew their families. They knew their wives' names. Their wives knew, you know what I mean? They had a huge yeah. advantage. And they used that advantage, too. And they needed to that day. Right? Yeah. When you and I talked about that, I'd love you just to make a comment on it for our listeners, because in terms of sports and how sports is such a tremendous environment for experiencing diversity of all kinds of socioeconomic of race of culture of, of background of, of sexual identity you name it because you are of religion like you are not just working with these individuals you are loving them you are becoming brothers and sisters with them you are learning about their families and so it creates such a i hadn't really thought too much about it until you brought it up so much of my world is addicts and the teams I work with and, and my, my friends are my teammates. And, and so, you know, you use the word lived experience. And I think that is so important too, to have a lived experience. And maybe you can have a lived experience of growing up a part of town with a lot of diversity. You can have a lived experience of playing for a team 
with a lot of diversity. Um, mm -hmm. How much of a role do you think sports plays in, in shaping people's minds with this conversation? Yeah, I think uh, huge. I mean, there's a lot of people who would never even run into the 16% of black people in the country if they hadn't been in a locker room. Mm -hmm. Right, uh, they at least uh, were in the vicinity of learning about uh, some of the, you know, what's it like to uh, grow up uh, black and poor, right? I only know how to grow up poor. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so it's huge, it gives them a great opportunity and they get to do it for, while they're young while they're still forming their, their identity and uh, understanding how this world works uh, through this sport. And so they can have some really good conversations, but typically they don't have them until they really get to know each other, mm -hmm. right? So they don't start off with, uh, I met you because we had a discussion around race, politics, and religion. <laughs> That's a tough way to, to meet somebody, right? right. They, they right. get to meet each other from... Uh, you know, doing well on the play or winning the game or uh, having a really good practice that I didn't feel like practicing, but my teammates said, come on, you can do this. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that you made, I wrote this down earlier when you said you kind of build that trust and then you're cashing in on that trust. And I have a, a, a team I've been working with and I talked to their coach at this rate, probably weekly on the phone. He and I have actually never met in person because we started working together during uh, you know, coronavirus shutdown, you name it. And um, with, with all this happening, he, he paused on the phone for a minute because I, I told him the conversation I was going to facilitate with his team. And I just wanted him to be aware of it. I was towing a certain line because I didn't want to necessarily ask for permission because I've never asked for permission for what I want, what I'm going to do with a team. But I was, you're sitting there going, wow, this is controversial. And it's like, no, it's not. I'm not telling what to think. I'm, I'm encouraging them to think and facilitating conversation. Yeah. And so I was sharing this with him and he paused and he goes, well, I know we don't know each other too well, but uh, I think I know you well enough to say what I'm about to say. And then he shared his really poignant, opinionated uh, uh, feelings on the current situation. And, and he and I were very in line um, in terms of the conversation I wanted to facilitate. But what I realized in that moment is no matter what he shared, he could have shared something that to me was completely out of left field, but because we had built a relationship, it would have been okay. We would have, that's why I was talking to him because mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure the message I'm delivering to his team is the same that he's delivering, knowing that he's probably not delivering something egregious, but he might be delivering something that is just maybe avoiding and skirting the issue. And I was like, well, we're going to go ahead at the issue and talk about it. And, and so that was really you know, again, you're learning that power of relationship. Uh, there's a lot of people that I don't see eye to eye with at all, but because we have a relationship, we have conversations and, mm -hmm. and it doesn't escalate to an argument. People always talk, oh, I don't like to talk politics and religion. I'm like, that's all my friends talk about because we, we, and we don't see things eye to eye, but we have that relationship. And I think that's what's missing right now. I don't think we need to talk less about politics, religion and, and life I think we just need to have better relationships that allow us to talk about that. Yes, absolutely, yeah. It's kind of like two people living next to each other. They may have only had cordialities if they saw each other at the mailbox or taken out the trash, all right? And then they uh, have a discussion around uh, this issue going on in the country. Hey, I know your son's fought in a war, uh, military family, 
how do you feel, you know, about what's going on in our country with uh, social injustice against black men? That's a great conversation to have with your neighbor, right? Mm -hmm. and, and remain neighbors, right? Mm -hmm. That will do a lot for the relationship, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, we just can't sit uh, idly by uh, silent with people that we're in community with. Right. At the end of the day, we could pass like these great uh, police reforms and criminal justice reforms and laws and legislations. If the hearts of the citizens of the U.S. has not changed, then all those laws and legislations won't mean anything. Mm -hmm. The fabric of our country will still be right. Us over you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned the neighbor story and that reminded me of a a conversation you and I had where you talked about the cultural differences with maybe the, you, I think you called it a Eurocentric way of processing things, mm -hmm. uh, which is very intellectual. And mm -hmm. then the, you know, you mentioned the Latino community and the African-American community is much more emotional. And, and as, as a white person, uh, uh, I resonated really with the Eurocentric side of things. I was like, you're 100% correct. Mm -hmm. I'm to totally, even with, with, um, you know, if you look at, and I'm guilty of this, if you look at when with, I'll, I'll just put, I'll just speak for myself as, as a non-black person speaking out against the social injustice against mm -hmm. people, uh, I have put out statistics, right? Because you can't yes. argue with statistics. Look at mm -hmm. the statistics of, of the, the disparity of the percentage of the population versus the injustice that happens. And, and when you look, when I look after you made your comment of how, you know, the black, you as a black person is more emotional, right? You just, you can feel it. You can see, I don't need to explain it. I'm telling you right now, uh, when I teach my son to drive, I teach him how to get pulled over. And that's the amount of times I've heard a, a black person say that. And I can see the white person hearing it and being like, okay, right? Like they hear it, but they don't really get it. And I think you're emotional. I'm speaking for myself with that. And I think uh, that difference there was really helpful for me. So share that for our listeners, the, the Eurocentric processing versus emotional. Yeah, so uh, because of what's going on, a lot of people uh, want to move to solution, right? And so... Like you said, they can document and uh, they have the data and the numbers around what's happening. And so uh, let's move to a solution, uh, right? As though that is the solution to start to uh, uh, change some things. That's great, uh, but it's not uh, exactly uh, given uh, a full ear to the issue. You have uh, people who are hurt, uh, wounded, and the George Floyd thing is just one of many uh, things that uh, continue to hurt Black people and remind them that they are living under uh, a system that's not for them, uh, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, this whole thing for them is about value. I've been minimized, uh, demeaned, and devalued. I don't know exactly how legislation would do that, how... Uh, uh, you becoming aware of what's going on from a textbook perspective uh, is really going to uh, restore uh, some people's trust uh, in somebody who represents oppression, uh, right? And so to move the solution too fast because 
you now know some statistics and data and facts about what's going on is great, uh, but it really doesn't answer the heart of the issue. That's why just knowing some stuff without knowing the people, right, uh, will in many ways kind of just be another handout, mm -hmm. right? Um, people want to be seen for who they are. You cannot get that kind of knowledge uh, by getting a college degree, right? Mm -hmm. And Black people would never, uh, one of the characteristics of African-Americans is uh, that in order for them to know, let's say they're going to uh, a dentist, uh, I, need to, I need a little bit of dental work, I got some insurance, you know, I need, you know, to get some things straightened out up there, right? They probably will not go online to uh, like look at reviews of dentists. Uh, what they probably will do is ask some of their friends uh, how was the dentist? When one of their African-American friends answers the question for them about how this dentist is, uh, they could typically say something like, oh, he's a good guy, he's cool, he's real cool, talks to you, nice guy, uh, fair on the price, and he helps you work through some of the insurance stuff because there's too much paperwork with insurance and things like that. Uh, yeah, the secretary is really nice girl, and it's uh, Karen from our old high school, da 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 has said nothing about the expert uh, maneuvers that a dentist does. Mm -hmm. It's all about mm -hmm. him, the person, the dentist. He's a good guy. He can be trusted. Uh, he's great with us. Yeah, I go there all the time. I, I took some of my other friends there too. Right? So in other words, what they're looking for is, can we trust this particular vendor? Mm -hmm. Right? Because what you can't forget is, uh, in this country, when we, uh, just because we can afford, and I'm using dentists just random, just because right. we can afford and go there does not mean that we will get the same service, right? And so a much more important uh, characteristic of that professional first service is how will that person treat us as Black Americans? Mm -hmm. That's much more important than his particular skill. Mm -hmm. Right, and so that way we'll know now that we'll get the same uh, service and care uh, as our other white friends. Right, mm -hmm. that's much more important know-how and knowledge for us uh, than some of our Eurocentric uh, approaches to uh, answering an issue. Right. Well, and as I think of, I think this our, our last conversation. This got brought up because I was talking about my realization that I have, I don't know why, you know, the death of George Floyd uh, did this for me more than, than any other experience I've had in the past. I don't know why, but, um, you know, I could come up with a list of maybe guesses or reasons or thoughts, but regardless, uh, I've realized that as a white person who also, um, you know, grew up pretty much middle class, you know, my parents were both teachers, so we're never poor, we were never rich, we were just kind of, you know, parents are both teachers. And uh, um, uh, religiously grew up Catholic, and I think since uh, I'm more just spiritual and religious and, and, and don't really, that, I don't connect to that community 
Um, but regardless, even if I did, uh, I think this would still be true. Um, and my point being, I don't, it, it was difficult. I thought about this with George Floyd. I don't know if there is an individual and this could sound cold or callous to people. So I hope you understand what I'm saying, but I don't know if there's an individual, um, in a state, you know, in the middle of the country, let's say an individual in Minnesota that looked like me, had a similar background as me and all that kind of stuff. They were to die at the hands of police. I still don't think I would emotionally connect to it in the way that, uh, my friends have, you know, my black friends have emotionally connected to George Floyd and, and I'm sure the communities, the Jewish community has been persecuted. And so they connect with, uh, when, when others in their community states away, even a country away are persecuted. And as someone of my experience in demographic and history, I cannot empathize. I'm not saying I, I, I don't try. I'm not saying I'm, I'm not, it's not an excuse. It's a realization an emotionalization of, I, even what you're saying there, the dentist, I hear your story. I've mm-hmm. heard stories like that my entire life. And I'm coming to the realization how folks like myself, we don't really fully get it though. And I don't mm-hmm. know if we'll ever fully get it. And it's not our responsibility to fully get it. It's our responsibility to trust you that that is the experience and, and not argue about it. And I think that's where it came from with George Floyd is I my opinion and thoughts on the matter were colored by my experiences with individuals who were emotionally impacted by it. And I'm talking with friends who, who white friends who don't have the same diversity of community that I do and have never been, you know, I'm countless times uh, in a room where I'm the minority with a group that I'm working with and, and have, have that small experience of walking in the room bunch of individuals who don't know me and and I'm automatically look different than them and so I'm in that headspace thinking what are they thinking of me how do I earn their trust how do I let them know that I'm not the the, the type of white person maybe they're thinking I am and and thinking that that's what my other friends of color have to do almost every day if mm-hmm. they're in a community where they're in the minority and yeah. so all this all this has just been you know realizing that I think you know, when people who don't have that lived experience or don't have that ability to empathize, get involved in the conversation with, well, here's what I, it's almost like, no, it's, it's not that your voice is not welcome, but mm-hmm. don't tell, don't tell. It's not on me to tell you, Harry, how to process this situation and to question yeah. your reality and to question your thoughts on it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I have a question yeah. in that. That was just my rambling. So. <laughs> I, I, I think that perspective is really important. Uh, yeah. Right, because I think it's uh, quite a few white people have that perspective, and for my uh, my black audience, uh, I would hope that they would uh, understand that we cannot expect white people to have our experience. Mm-hmm. It's not fair. That's an injustice. Right? Mm-hmm. You can't expect them to have the same sensitivity levels as we do. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, they haven't come home and walked the day in our shoes. If they haven't, how are they going to get it, right? right. So we have to know as black people who we're talking to. We're talking to somebody that uh, has no idea what it's like to be black and walking on the street or driving a car. Yeah. Right? And uh, but the conversation has to at least so the conversation has to start with that kind of basic information, right? And then for the uh, white people, hey. Uh, I don't want you to feel guilty or ashamed because you don't have the same empathy that I have. 
I have it because I've seen that uh, it's happened in my family and I can see myself down there on that pavement dying a shameful death the same way the George Floyds of the world's have. That's much mm -hmm. harder bridge for uh, Bobby Audley the cross, mm -hmm. right? That's why right. you don't have the same empathy uh, level, right? You can get it to a degree, but yeah, so it really just comes down to, uh, let me get to know uh, Harry uh, and some of my black associates a little better. And then I'll indirectly, right, uh, have a sensitivity level to it, right? It's like yeah. them fold, folding me into and bringing me into a part of their life that I hadn't seen before. You couldn't read about it in a textbook if you, if you searched the, the continent. Mm -hmm. You can't get it, right? And uh, a lot of those conversations are happening where people are starting to understand a, a different perspective that they hadn't heard before. Right? Because when you don't have it, uh, when you look at George Floyd uh, and you don't have that kind of a lived experience, the first question is, well, what did he do? Mm -hmm. Right. And, that, right. <laughs> and that's not a good first question for no. somebody who is reminded of their hopelessness. Black people don't have like, a, uh, like this automatic, uh, we, we understand you thing going on when it comes to white America. They do not. They have to do the same hard work that white people do. I got to really open my eyes and ears and have some empathy to my white brother. Mm. Right? And it really comes down to uh, removing some of the differences, like the skin color, the job, right? Uh, the stuff, the beliefs, uh, the differences in how we raise our kids, the difference in how we, I don't know, uh, keep our bodies in shape remove all that stuff and get down to the heart of the person, right? Mm. And that's really where I started all my even working relationships from, right? Because my position had more to do with personal development so that professional development could take place. Uh, I had no choice but to understand who that individual was as a person. Yeah. Right. So I had to, I had a lot of practice at looking past the differences, but also I identified my own biases. Mm -hmm. Like any good counselor worth his weight in gold, worth her weight in gold, uh, is constantly looking at the information they're gathering as they do their diagnosis with the uh, background of their own biases. We all have that. Yeah. Right. And uh, that's when uh, you can really, uh, as we say, put ourselves out there and go, hey, I have a difficulty with, I don't know, people that went to the University of Alabama because they always beat us when I was in college, whatever hmm. it was, right? Just seeing the color does something to me. And he has that T-shirt on while I'm talking to him. <laughs> right. Right. It's right. usually something simple like that, right? Just saying that to yourself yeah. and going, that's ridiculous, right? This is Bobby we're talking about, right? And so, right. yeah, that's, that's huge, you know, to, for people to do that. Uh, it's something that I've had to do, but something that has benefit, benefited me greatly in, in all, all of my relationships, including my personal ones. 
Well, that leads me to my last question. I want to ask this. This is our part two, and so shorter than our original. Um, but I just want to ask you one last question. Obviously, I've already asked you that. Actually, I didn't ask you this when we first talked because okay. it was a new question. Um, so a question I've started asking um, in all my interviews, and you were, you were one of my first, I don't think I asked this, uh, is do you have a 50 cups of coffee story? So 50 cups of coffee, as you and I have talked about a lot, is the concept of, of doing what we're doing right now, doing what we did uh, earlier in the week of sitting down and talking and connecting and, 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 and how, quite frankly, how our relationship has developed. Uh, of, I reached out and said it was Eve Batobo who connected us, and I really didn't have anything other than I wanted to learn from you and learn about your position at the time. And so uh, I was going to ask it. I'll give you freedom to answer it how you wish. And so I was going to ask it and say, is there a conversation that has changed you profoundly in the way that you sing or, or uh, uh, see the world or see relationships? And I realized I don't think I asked the question at all when we first met. So maybe you can take it however you want. But do you have a 50 cups of coffee story that stands out to you that from sitting down and connecting with someone, um, it, it led to something for you? It doesn't have to be life changing, but it was, it was moving enough to remember. Yeah, um, so I had a real brief conversation with someone, believe it or not, working out. <laughs> We're both on the treadmill, uh, and we started a conversation on the treadmill, and we both put a pause on our workout. Now, this is huge because uh, we both workout fiends, and we yeah. never, ever stop a workout right because stopping a workout is akin to quitting (laughs) right uh but uh i had a good enough relationship with him he had some stuff that was on his heart and was on his mind and he shared some stuff with me and he didn't even get the uh uh he didn't even give the uh the kind of uh, hook to it all, you can't tell anybody this. Because uh, what this guy shared with me, uh, if it had got out, it would have ruined him, Mm. right? And uh, I was able to give him just a snippet of advice, uh, recognizing that uh, he had a lot of stuff on his heart that was really grieving him, holding him down, uh, weighing heavy on him. Uh, I heard him, uh, I empathized with him, I came alongside of him, uh, but I knew during the discussion that uh, he needed some help. He just couldn't get to a place where he could ask for it. But I gave it to him anyway, and it saved his marriage. Mm. And every now and again, like this was just a couple of weeks ago, uh, he texts me, and his texts are not even, he's not even good at coding them. Hey, Harry, just checking in with you, see how your lock-in's going. Uh, me and the wife are doing great during our lock-in. That's the text. Yeah. <laughs> and I know what that means. <laughs> that means yeah. because uh, you held my confidence uh, and you sent me forward, uh, right? I still have a marriage today when a lot of relationships are really being tested, tested with this lock-in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know we didn't have a cup of coffee, but getting off that treadmill and uh, talking with that, uh, I mean, he's a grown man, uh, 
made, made a statement and uh, I didn't have to say a whole lot. Uh, the best thing I did during that conversation was listen. I didn't exactly know how bad his marriage was, uh, but I do know wherever I said, uh, he heard it and he took it and he recognized it as something that saved his family, right? There were quite mm -hmm. a few, they had a large family, uh, quite a few kids involved, quite a few lives were affected. Mm -hmm. so that's probably my best uh, cup of coffee story uh, of late that I can remember. That conversation yeah. was seven years ago. Mm. And I mean, you don't know when you're paying it forward until the person who, who received the treasure from it, right, get, shows you evidence that it has. Yeah, and what I want to honor about that story is you are an individual who is tremendously present and in the moment with individuals. So you can you have a, a great ability. You did this with me last week. I texted you to say I'd love to hop on the podcast and talk about um, you know my reflections of of the current situation and current news and what's going on and conversations and and you said. You know, let's just let's just talk. Let's not record. Let's just talk. Yeah. And you and I talked for an hour and a half. And and I I posted this. I said I I talked to a mentor of mine who is a, a black man, many years my senior. And I talked. I said I go. He asked me questions. And and I said yes, you're reading this correctly, um, because he recognized that I needed that. Um, and I think you know. Uh, that's important, right? To, to not only, I'm lucky to have you to recognize that, and hope yeah. others do as well. And you recognize, you know what, to pause, you're, you're right. If, if he obviously had something on his heart he needed to talk about, and so for you to hit stop on the treadmill and sit mm -hmm. down and talk about it, that's a, that's a, you know, if, if someone's not an exerciser, maybe they think we're blowing this out of proportion. If someone works out and is an athlete into this, I think they get what that means. <laughs> so uh, uh, that was you being present and in the moment. It's no different from you walking into a player in line and, and asking them how they're doing and genuinely caring. There's a difference between how are you doing this morning and no, no, no. How are you really doing this morning? And if that's something to talk about, we're going to set up time later to talk about it. I think that's a big takeaway from this is just yeah. don't, don't surface level these conversations, have them and be willing to, to sit there in community with other people. You've always done that for me. So I, that's a thank you for that story. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great summary of that too. What you said, that was spot on Bobby. No, Bobby. Thank good. you. Appreciate you appreciate your your heart and your willingness to listen well good well thanks for taking the time and, have a good day uh, we'll be in touch okay bye-bye thank you for listening to the 50 cups of coffee podcast if you haven't already please go check out my tedx talk by youtubing the 50 cups of coffee challenge go ahead and connect with me on social media at bobby audley this show is a production of the Pinot Training Group, and the theme music is by Matisse Soy. To learn more about how we serve teams and organizations, please check us out at pinottraininggroup.com.